Collegiately speaking. And we're underway. Needs a block on the picker. He gets it. And will he go the distance? Yes, he will. Touchdown, Michigan State. As the Hokies deliver the dagger here in Tallahassee. Intercepted by the Wildcats. The Wildcats win. Unbelievable. Here's Collegiately Speaking, your one-stop shop for college football news. Collegiately Speaking. With Dave Enn and former Northwestern quarterback Dan Person. How much you want to make a bet I can throw a football over the mountain? Collegiately Speaking. And welcome to Collegiately Speaking, our look at college football from WGNRadio.com. I'm Dave Ennett, joined by former Northwestern Wildcat quarterback Dan Persa. Every week we'll sit and talk a little college football, look at what's transpired the week before, look ahead to the games uh, upcoming, and we've got a week under our belts. Dan, good to have you along. Glad to work with you once again. And It's great to have college football back, isn't it? Absolutely. Best time of the year. It is. No question about it. Interesting opening weekend. We had some good games, a lot of mismatches, some games that I think people thought were going to be good games weren't quite as as good or competitive as they were billed. I guess the question is, when you open with a weekend like that, and we had games from Thursday all the way through Sunday, that Florida State-Virginia Tech game, is it a good thing when you've got games that maybe aren't such terrific matchups in that opening week? I think yes and no. I think college football has come a long way. You know, you look back five, ten years, it was all cupcake games, and that was more because of the BCS system of people wanted to preserve wins and, and start off the season, you know, on the right foot. But now with the college football landscape or college football playoff landscape, you know, teams are incentivized to play better teams. And I think as, as fans, it's, it's made opening weekend a lot more exciting. To your point, um, you know, some of the, the, Games that were billed as, you know, the showstoppers, the Virginia Tech, um, Virginia Tech uh, game, the LSU Miami game, they just weren't weren't great. Um, Auburn Washington was a great game. Northwestern Purdue was a great game, but I think you know it was hard to find those you know the headline matchups. Michigan Notre Dame was probably great the most game, yeah. ballyhooed game of the weekend, but uh, that one also. I mean, yeah, Notre Dame jump out to a quick fourteen nothing lead, and it just seemed like Michigan, although they. They put together, time to time, a little bit of a rally. They weren't quite able to get there. You never really felt like the game was going to get away from Notre Dame. It was never really a close game. Um, to your point, they it, they made it close at the end, and they had a shot to tie it at the end. But it just... Michigan looked uncomfortable. The defense played played pretty well, but the offensively they just looked uncomfortable. And I think what's interesting is Jim Harbaugh has never had this dynamic of a, of a quarterback in, as he has now in, in Shea Patterson. I think you really need to open it up with him. It's not you know the quarterbacks of of the past where you let the defense dominate the game and you know maybe score a couple points as the Michigan offense. Um, you know to beat great teams like Notre Dame, you gotta you gotta open it up. And unfortunately, you know Michigan didn't do that. Final was 24-17, and it's interesting that Notre Dame climbed all the way to 8th from outside the top 10, and Michigan fell from 14th to 21st, I believe, was was their ranking, and, and that that's a pretty precipitous drop. So evidently, Michigan was judged a little more harshly based on the outcome of this game, but really, they're playing a road game in a very tough environment so i guess the question is do you really get a good 
example of how good a team is? Do you get a good measure of it in a game like this that is so emotionally charged? You know, it's tough. I think it's it's tough to get a, a good read on team week one in general, um, and especially if they're playing a big game and a tough row game against a team of, of Notre Dame's caliber. Um, it's just hard. You'll hear the, the classic coaching cliche that teams improve the most from week one to week two, and I think while it's a cliche, it's it's very true. And I think, you know, if you're, as as everyone says, if you lose early, it's not the end of the world, especially if you're playing in the Big Ten. So I think Michigan has you know every opportunity in the world to to bounce back from this, and I'm sure Coach Harbaugh will get them going. Yeah, they got Western Michigan this week. We'll talk more about this week's matchups coming up. It was kind of an uneven weekend for the Big Ten. Plenty of wins. They got 11 wins, uh, but some close calls also, notably uh, the Penn State Appalachian State game, which I think surprised everybody, although I'm not so sure it should have been as surprising as it was. But do you think it's a sign of trouble for the Big Ten that they did have some close calls in games maybe people didn't expect? It's tough. At the end of the day, those are red flags. Um, Michigan State coming down to the to the wire with with Utah State and the Appalachian State Penn State game. They're they're definitely red flags. But you know, as media members, you always want to be careful of the the classic overreaction to Week mm-hmm. One. It is Week One. Um, you know, you're knocking off, knocking off a lot of rust. But to say it, you know it could have been that Utah State and Appalachian State are actually pretty good teams. Um, and the the parity in college football has has really. Cl- come a lot closer together than it has been in the past so these you know mid-major schools are actually pretty good they have a lot of talent um so you know we'll see red flags for sure but we're not going to throw away penn state or michigan state at the top of the big 10 east just i'm always a little bit surprised by the suggestion that teams stay vanilla uh during the non-conference season in a lot of these games that they're really not opening the playbook up until they get in to conference play because when all said and done at the end of the season, if you stumble in one of these games, then you're going to pay for it in November, even though this game was back in September, right? I mean, does it make sense to you? It makes no sense to me, and I think that's that's been one of my biggest critiques of, of, of a lot of different teams over the years is why would you ever play with a you know a, a tightened up playbook? You always want to give the next team as much prepared for as possible. If you're whether you're running the wildcat, whether you're running a fake punt, a different formation, you know, different packages. Why would you not show that to teams early on so they they have to prepare for it in practice because that takes up a lot of time even if it's a you know a, t- a tweak in in the field goal it's taking away time that they otherwise could prepare for so you know if coaches are doing it i don't think it's the right thing um and if they're doing it in the big 10 i think you know why why would you not open it up and just just let everybody know that you're, you're you have a this full playbook to prepare for what were the most impressive wins in the big 10 on opening weekend in your opinion i think northwestern versus purdue obviously opening with a with a big 10 win was huge and when in a tight game at Purdue in a pretty raucous atmosphere. Yeah. Uh, they haven't had an atmosphere. You were there like that in a, probably a long time. I had not seen one since the Drew Brees era. Right. I it was think. it was pretty special, I heard. And then obviously you can't you can't overlook Maryland's win over Texas. I thought that was huge given given what the program's been through over the past couple months. Um, and then to come out and beat a you know a really good you know, according to the the pollsters, a really good Texas team. Um, you know, after all that, a really rough summer. It speaks to what a big win that was for them. You know, when you talk about impressive wins, I think you also have to include teams winning impressively, even against a lesser opponent. Correct, because that's counter to say Penn State, Appalachian State, Michigan State, Utah State. That's why I thought Wisconsin's win against Western Kentucky because they. 
they made a statement. Even though they were heavy favorites in that game, they're playing at home, crowd was jacked up. Still, that's a game. You're the number four team in the country going into that game. Uh, if you come out and just lay an egg, even if you win, but you don't win by a lot, people are going to be questioning you. And I thought that was a really impressive victory. I think Ohio State can be included in that conversation as yeah. well. With beating <laughs> 77 you know, points? <laughs> right. Beating Oregon State, who's who's no slouch either. Um, I thought, you know, Dwayne Haskins looked great. The receivers looked great. Um, you know, to your point, those are impressive wins doing what, you know, what everybody thinks they would do against teams of those caliber. Let's talk about Northwestern, a nine-game winning streak now, Dan, uh, dating back to last year. They started 0-2 in the Big Ten with losses to Wisconsin and Penn State, and they haven't lost since. And a nine-game winning streak, which is their longest streak since 1995 when they won their last non-conference game and then went 8-0 in the Big Ten. Um, that's pretty impressive. Don't see many nine-game winning streaks anymore in college football. And what does it say about that team that they were able to do that? Well, it says a lot. And I think, you know, what obviously a lot of times is, is overlooked is, like you said, they started really slow. So these nine, this nine-game winning streak doesn't include, you know, a cupcake game at the beginning of the year or a one double-A school. It includes Big Ten opponents and SEC opponents, um, which is which is pretty special. And for them to, you know, a lot of these games were close games. A couple, you know, obviously overtime games last year says a lot. And I don't think people are obviously I'm biased being an alum, but I don't think people are really talking about it as much as they should. And you know, for the guys, it gives them a ton of confidence going into every game that they just don't know what losing feels like. And obviously, they want to stave that that feeling off as long as possible. I don't think it's necessarily a matter of bias of you being an alum to say that, right. because I'm hearing that from a lot of people around the country. They don't even realize Northwestern is on that kind of streak, the longest streak in Power 5 football. They did it with quarterback Clayton Thorson coming back nine months from ACL surgery. Now, you, as a former quarterback, one of Clayton's predecessors, you had to come back from a serious injury. Uh, you were fighting the the clock and the odds to come back when you did. Take us through the process, the, the whole deal. I know it's a different injury that you had in Achilles as opposed to an ACL. But going through rehab, not knowing if you're going to be able to play, you want to play, you don't know for sure if you're going to be out there. What goes through your mind? Yeah, I think at first, when the injury happens, it doesn't really register with you that you're going to be out for, for that long of a time period. And I think Clayton's done a great job of not focusing on, obviously his goal was to, to play in the first game, but every time I talked to him, um, he was focused on that day that, you know, rehab session and just improving on the little milestones that you need to that you know when built up allow you to play at the end of the day versus Purdue and I think he did a great job with it um you know when I was going through it I probably rushed a little bit and had a few setbacks and it sounds like you know all the reports said that he you know was right on track ahead of schedule you know did extra reps and and the things that they wanted to him to push on and and kind of stayed away from pushing too hard which is definitely a delicate balance because you see you know a lot of re-injuries with both ACLs and Achilles um, but I mean, to to come back from from an injury like that in that short of time and, and play like the way he did against Purdue is, is really a testament to you know one his work ethic, two his his mental toughness, um, and three the Northwestern support staff they did a great job of preparing him and getting him ready for the game. How much better do you expect him to be a month from now? I think it, he's only going to get better, and the first game being hit 
being out there again is is always a, a little questionable and I'm, I'm sure you know he probably played half of the game versus Purdue I think he's only gonna get better and he's only gonna receive more and more reps his knee's only gonna get stronger he's only gonna get more and more comfortable with everything that goes into a game so to, to have him play like that uh, against Purdue the way he did is is a great sign and you know Northwestern fans can really expect him to continue to improve and and get stronger every week another impressive win for a Big Ten team was Maryland's victory over a ranked Texas squad for the second year in a row last year the terrapins did it in austin so you know texas had to be ready going into college park for this game and given all of the upheaval and the tragedy in the michigan and the maryland program during the off season with the death of jordan mcnair over the summer uh the coach dj durkin being placed on administrative leave uh, a lot of uncertainty about the future of the program and I'm following that game during the course of the afternoon on Saturday, Dan. I'm thinking, is this really happening? Is Maryland doing it to Texas again? Because not a whole lot was expected of Maryland based on what had happened. It was unbelievable the way they played. You know, from from the from the first kickoff to to through the rain delay. I think you know having Deshaun Jones go off the way he did. Um, I don't think a lot of people were expecting that. But you're right. I mean, can you name another outside of you know other big scandals having something like that? You lose a, a teammate, you lose your coach, you lose your strength, uh, your head head strength coach. There's a lot going on, and and there's a ton of pressure on the kids. And you'll see teams kind of go one of two ways: either galvanize, um, it galvanizes the team, and they. they they move forward and it, they become closer and play that much harder and it gives them a reason to win or you see things completely fall apart and obviously um, it was it was the first one there where Maryland came together had a great game had a great win against a, a very high quality Texas team and um, it was it was nothing but surprising the way they played interesting to see if they can sustain it this week when they go on the road for the first time at Bowling Green. Uh, one of the offshoots of the Notre Dame-Michigan game was the controversy involving Braylon Edwards, the former Michigan receiver, now does work or was doing work for BTN. But this is where social media, as we've all found, there's there should be that voice in the back of your head saying, don't hit send when the temptation is there. And he was very critical of Michigan, and he called out a couple of the players from that game. Their performances ended up being suspended by BTN. In general, as a former player, how reluctant are you to to call out, say, if you saw a Northwestern player uh, do something in a game that you took exception to? Is, is there a voice that says, no, wait a minute, he's a college kid, or do you go ahead and let it fly? He's, they're all they're all college kids. I think you got to be really careful with with personal attacks. Um, these are 19 to 23-year-old kids, and you don't really want to personally attack them on things that you know that you probably don't know as an outsider if you're not that close to the program i mean braylon played a a decent amount of time and it's fair to criticize the team and and maybe the coach a little bit but as a former player you you always want to be supportive at the end of the day it's okay to say you know the quarterback had a rough game but i believe in him next time or that i I feel like the offensive coordinator should have maybe been more aggressive at, at this point but i think when you when you take it when you make it personal against young kids that's where the the line is drawn especially when you're you know a member of the media if you're some guy you know on his couch that played at michigan 40 years ago it's a little bit different than you know a a contributor to the big 10 network did it happen to you as a player i mean the social media is bigger now than it was when you were playing but it was around and certainly the message boards and that sort of stuff was around yeah, I, I don't think the message boards and Twitter was just getting going. It just wasn't as 
big of a part of the conversation and if it was the players really never focused on it but it got brought up in the press conference at Michigan so the players obviously knew about it the coach coach Harbaugh obviously knew about it so you know back I played you know eight years ago it wasn't that big of a deal if someone said something on on a message board it didn't get to the head coach as quickly as we see it now nowadays where you know a former player posts something on Twitter or Facebook and someone knows the next minute so it's just it's really um shows how far social media has come before we get to this week's games another story that came out of last weekend's games mikey dudek the illinois wide receiver has there ever been anybody unluckier than him his third season ending injury so really pretty unbelievable it's unfortunate and i think you really feel for the kid because he's he's probably spent you know 90 percent of his time in the training room trying to get healthy after such a great um, freshman season at Illinois and every, all reports have said he's he's got a great attitude he's a great kid and um, you know whether he gets a chance to play again or moves on in the professional world I'm, sh- I'm sure he'll be successful because of these experiences but you really fear, feel for a kid that has to go through something like that over and over and over and you know you think it would finally go away after the, the second ACL goes but uh, unfortunately some bodies are just built differently and are more you know are more prone to injury. All right, let's look at the games this weekend in the Big Ten, and uh, we'll run down the schedule really quick. Western Michigan playing at Michigan, the home opener for the Wolverines. Northwestern plays its home opener, a rematch with Duke. That's become a a pretty enticing and compelling rivalry in recent years and last year duke got him down in durham this year they play in evanston at ryan field 11 o'clock on saturday purdue hosting eastern michigan new mexico at wisconsin colorado at nebraska an old big 12 rivalry being renewed uh rutgers at ohio state a another early season big 10 matchup iowa hosting iowa state uh, Maryland, I mentioned at Bowling Green. Illinois hosting Western Illinois. Indiana home against Virginia. Minnesota home against Fresno State. Penn State at Pittsburgh, another in-state rivalry. And Michigan State at Arizona State. All right, Dan Persa, who's got the toughest game this weekend of the Big Ten? I think you got to go with Northwestern Duke. It's it's really probably two teams that are severely underrated and have have. Duke had a great win against a 10-win Army team last year. Northwestern, obviously, coming off a great win at Purdue. But I, I think it's it's going to be a tight game. Duke's very talented, great quarterback, um, great receiver core, uh, and a really strong defense. So I think if if not them, Iowa State, that's, an, that's another game you, you really got to look at, um, interstate rivalry, that for one reason or another, it's, it's always close. Um, these kids probably all know each other. So I think those two games, and maybe a couple more, but the, I think those two kind of headline the, the weekend's action. You know, we really didn't mention Iowa. I didn't mean to omit them, but very impressive win over Northern Illinois. They had them shut out till very late in the game. And, you know, I think people look at Iowa as a team which, again, before you say this is a team which isn't going to contend in the Big Ten West, you look at them and say, well, they always seem to be there. And two years ago, this was one of the top teams in the Big Ten. Plus, you know, night games against ranked teams at, at uh, Kinnick Stadium, they always seem to find a way to get it done. Now, this isn't one of those, but that's not to say that uh, they're not going to have some of those tests this year once they get into Big Ten play. Absolutely. And it was obviously a big, big win for, for Coach Ferentz being becoming the all-time leader and, and wins um, passing his predecessor Hayden Fry, but yeah, I, I think Iowa's always a tough team. They're going to be 
every game's going to be close just because of the way they play. And, and like you said, if there's a night game at, at Kinnick Stadium, that's where ranked teams go to die. So um, <laughs> it's they're always going to be around in the Big Ten West no matter what. Well, another tough game, I think, is going to be Michigan State at Arizona State. Now, Herm Edwards uh, just getting his coaching career restarted uh, with the Sun Devils, but I remember Northwestern going out and playing in Tempe, a late-night game on a Saturday. It was about 95 degrees. I think it kicked off, or at least it felt that way, and it was a total blowout. And Michigan State's a really good team. I'm sure they're aware uh, how difficult this game is going to be for them. But still, based on their performance last week against Utah State, and again, you wonder how much they're holding back, because I think it's a really good Michigan State team, a 10-win team from last year. Uh, that's always a tough game for visiting teams. Absolutely. Anytime you have to you know, go across country, play in Sun Devil Stadium, you know, adjust to, to the heat, and Herm Edwards' Lockhart, you, you just don't really know – how the team's going to be. They obviously blew out um, UT San Antonio last week. But, um, you know, Herm Edwards is a great coach. He, you know, brings teams together, and they, the kids are playing really hard for him. And, you know, it, I agree with you. I think that's the sleeper close game of the week. And I mentioned Colorado, Nebraska. Of course, uh, Nebraska wasn't able to play their game against Akron last week in Lincoln. So this will be the first game of the Scott Frost era, the highly anticipated Scott Frost era, assuming they get that game in. I mean, you never know what the weather's going to be, but uh, really bizarre weather day last Saturday where you had a lot of delays for lightning and storms and Nebraska, they never were able to play. So they're already a week behind. Everybody else has a game under their belt, and now they're playing Colorado and yeah, it'll be an interesting game. First game out of the box for uh, Scott Frost, as it turns out. It's a tough, definitely a tough team to start against, and Colorado's no slouch. They've recruited right. well over the last couple of years. But as we talked about before, and Scott Frost kind of alluded to this in his in his weekly press conference, that you know most teams improve from week one and into week two, and they don't have the benefit of that, and they're going to have to make that up in practice. But the positives are, you know, they they have fresher legs. They're not, they're injury free for the most part. You no, know, obviously, no one got injured in the game that didn't get played. So, you know, you'd think they'd be fresh, and I'm sure all the Nebraska fans are kind of chomping at the bit to see them out there. Well, Dan, one feature of Collegiately Speaking every week is going to be our expert, Super Joe. Super Joe is going to give us the Super Joe Prediction of the Week. Wow, expert, yo. Super Joe, what you got for us this week? <laughs> Actually, I wanted to ask one quick question because I'm intrigued by the Michigan State-Arizona uh, State game. Dan, what's the latest you ever started a game? Because this is actually going to start 11 o'clock, well, 1045 Eastern time. So they are playing like late at night. And for Dave and I who get up for the morning show, that like that scares <laughs> don't me. see that time. Yeah, I, I'm trying to think. I probably it would have to be, I don't think we ever played a night game on the West Coast. So probably 7 or 8 Central. But yeah, I, I guess I didn't think about that. Starting a, kicking off a game at eleven and playing till you know two, three, four in the morning, depending how long it goes for a, a central or a team in the in the central of the the center of the country, it's got to be tough. Before you played at Northwestern, uh, the Wildcats played a couple of games in Hawaii. One of them I remember started I think eleven p.m. Chicago time. Which yeah, that's yeah, that's got to be an adjustment. Bedtime. Yeah, yeah. Wait for, right. Right. all right, Joe, what you got? Uh, game of the week. I'm going to take the Penn State Nittany Lions. You know, App State gave them a scare last week. I think that that almost uh, is, is a detriment to Pitt. I think it would be it would have been better if you know Penn, Penn State went out and blew out App State. They would have gotten their better shot, but I think 
Penn State goes into Heinz Field and covers the nine at least, maybe even covers a 15. Or I, I think that's a good pick. I, I think, and as a Pennsylvania native son, uh, Dan, what do you think of the Penn State pit game? I know people are excited about it. They played it, you know, for every year until the Nittany Lions joined the Big Ten. So it's it's a big rivalry in Pennsylvania. I think, you know, a lot of the Western, it's it's like a kind of divide in the state. Eastern Pennsylvania goes for Penn State. Western goes for Pitt. So it's it's always a fun game to attend, and there's a lot of, a lot of bets and a lot of rivalries on the line there. All right. Should be a great weekend. Dan will do this again next week and every week. And log on to WGNRadio.com and uh, join us. Feel free to email us, tweet at us, and we'd love to hear from you. And that'll do it for the first edition of Collegiately Speaking for the 2018 college football season. Thanks to our producer and predictor, Super Joe. And for Dan Purse, I'm Dave Bennett. Thanks for joining us. This has been Collegiately Speaking from WGNRadio.com.